0: and a happy Thursday evening to one and all. Welcome to episode five of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about what is commonly called my fitness journey. You have to go back a long way, so I hope you'll bear with me, but I do feel this is a story worth telling because it is universal to so many people who maybe struggled with their weight as a child as an adult or it's an ongoing struggle and um in this instance the phrase the struggle is real it's legit in my own case i was very active as a child had the opportunity to play a lot of different sports growing up of course i Kind of grew up in a bowling alley. My dad's dad owned Woodmere bowling lanes and backstage in Woodmere, New York. Uh, That's Long Island's South Shore, about as far west as you can go before you hit like Cambria Heights and other parts of Queens. But I played baseball, I played soccer. Soccer was big in Massapequa. Massapequa Soccer Club, I had a jacket. Ooh, I'm so cool, I'm wearing a Massapequa Soccer Club jacket. But baseball, played basketball, didn't really play football, just, you know, on the playground. I never officially, in a league, played football. But I played tennis. Um, I was just very active. I used to play, like, deck hockey, stuff like that. And I was good at ping pong. Whatever sport I tried, I was good at. I was very active as a kid, even though I always ate a lot. You know, when you're, what I found as a Jewish kid growing up is that if you are thin and eat a lot, they call you a fresser, Yiddish for "it's the nicest way of saying that a little boy or a little girl is a is a pig." The nicest possible way to say it. It was always said with a glint in the eye. Ah, oh, Jeremy's such a fresser. He's such a little fresser. When you're skinny, when you're lean and mean, it's a good thing. If you're a kid who's a little overweight, not so much. So, as I say, I was very active. And then at a certain time in my younger life, um, I stopped playing tennis, I stopped playing baseball. Um, I still bowled, but I didn't play those sports at the same frequency. And I was, cliche city, I was depressed, I was clinically depressed uh, in my very early teens, and probably even by the time I was 11. Uh, It wasn't officially diagnosed, until I was in seventh grade, which would have been you know twelve going on thirteen, it would have been that year, the year of my bar mitzvah. So my my physical condition, even as I you know grew, I was ended up being six, just a shade under six foot two, but my physical condition deteriorated. My mental state deteriorated, despite the fact that I was getting I, the treatment of good doctors who cared, psychotherapists who gave a crap work with my parents Uh, but i was very angry and sullen and surly kid very sarcastic very much a child of generation x um and i did not want to be helped i wanted to have the freedom to be miserable and to spread misery upon others and um, i did i was really good at that actually i was good at making other people feel like crap but didn't make me feel any better. So get to my middle teens, and I'm still in just rotten mood. I have no direction. I don't even know if I'm going to go to college. I'm not even sure I'm going to graduate high school. I was missing so many days. The year of 10th grade, would you believe I had 60 absences? 60! How did I graduate from 10th grade? good question i failed more than half my classes and i did the same thing in 11th grade how did i graduate i have no idea maybe because i had been accelerated your guess is as good as mine but my physical condition being crap my lack of any kind of social life and my belief my unshakable belief that i would never ever have a social life i wouldn't have conventional friendships I certainly would never have a young lady be interested in me, scumbag like me, no chance, no shot. And that, what I used to refer to as terrible knowledge, that terrible knowledge informed my behavior. I already knew I was screwed, so what's the point in even trying? What's the point of trying to do better when you know you are doomed to fail? Why waste your time? I would have argued with my older self We could cross the space time continuum and have me right now go back and try and talk some sense into me, age 15, 16, 17. I mean, I could have beat the crap out of my younger self for sure. I would have throttled him. But he wouldn't have listened. Even if I told him, bro, you have no idea what's waiting for you. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. And you're wrong about every single thing you've ever said about dating, about relationships about having a chance, you're wrong about everything, kiddo. Oh, fuck you, you don't know, I don't believe you. When I was 17, i that was the year of 11th grade, I was a really good bowler. I got to bowl in the state finals up at Binghamton. Well, Vestal, but close to Binghamton. That was about the only good thing, uh, the only good thing going, my bowler. But I still struggle to form normal friendships. I struggle to make eye contact with um, with you know young women, people I may have had a crush on. Which is normal. It's normal to not feel like you know a stud or a superstar when you're trying to talk to a young lady, for example. Uh, but I I just stared at the floor. It, it was that was me. I was 215 pounds at about 5 foot 11. Now that's not its not morbid obesity. I understand that. And I'm not trying to portray myself as that, because it wasn't the case. But I looked and felt horrible every day. I woke up depressed and miserable every day. And this even continued through the summer of 91, which was not a bad summer, I had formed new friendships um not really with any with any girls but I had formed new friendships I had people that I trusted and people that I saw socially thanks to being on the bowling team uh John McHugh the same camp twins Rick Wolf people that were real true friends so at least there was that I was making incremental progress that I had people that you know you call up on a rotary phone in your house and say hey You wanna go bowling tonight? Yeah, great idea, let's meet at 300 Bowl at 5 o'clock. Stuff like that was great, which I really looked forward to. I hadn't even had that a few years prior, one year prior. I started my senior year of high school still not in a good frame of mind, still flunking too many classes, still feeling like crap and feeling powerless, powerless. And somebody would say, Well, Chair, you could stop eating bags of potato chips and, you know, bowls of onion dip. Maybe that would help. Me. <laughs> but that won't matter. You know what you're talking about. Fuck hey, you. Maybe. Age 17, in a nutshell, right there. The long story made very, very short is at the beginning of my senior year in high school, I developed a crush on a young lady who I had known only vaguely and would forever know only vaguely. But that crush motivated me to action. And it's the strangest thing sometimes that motivate us to action, right? You don't always see him coming. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes the aha moment is what you expect. But other times, it's as simple as a crush. Like the song by, who was that? I don't even remember. It's just a little crush. That was in the mid-90s. But in this case, it was just a little crush. And um, suddenly I was willing to try something else. Maybe we won't have two bags of Ruffles and a pint of sour cream mixed with two bags of Lipton onion soup. Think about how lame that is. But for me, that was my jam. Lipton onion soup stirred into sour cream and ruffles, but i digress i had a purpose i had a reason and that was if i am fitter maybe i have a chance maybe it's possible that a young lady would take a shine for me if i were thinner it's kind of a, a horrifying concept isn't it but that's what i believed I wasn't thinking of the other stuff, like, well, maybe if you stop being such an asshole, maybe if you were a nicer person, maybe if you stop being sarcastic and responding to everyone with nothing but unrelenting grim sarcasm, maybe if you were just a mensch, use another Yiddish word. But all I was focused on, let's see if we can lose weight and go from there, which actually is okay. From the perspective of trying to make changes, it's okay to start somewhere. So at least I had that correct. Everything else was bad, but the idea of believing that, well, if I change my diet, I might experience changes. That was something. It seemed so obvious, but it wasn't so obvious. Not to me, not to 17 year old me. So I didn't go on a regular, like I didn't go on diet center or Weight Watchers. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just started portion control without you know, any help from the internet, which really wasn't there. Uh, I just, I knew enough already to understand that, okay, if I stop eating potato chips and onion dip, if I start eating real food, fruit, vegetables, in normal quantities, let's just see what happens. I said, I'll give myself two weeks. You can do it, and let's just see what happens. Well, not surprising, because I did not, at the time, have a thyroid condition, from late September, of 1991 until thanksgiving i went from 215 pounds to somewhere between 175 and 180. so you're talking about roughly a 40 pound loss while i grew another inch people who had seen me for uh, the jewish holidays uh, the rosh hashanah and kippur family that had seen me at those holidays in september still at my puffy best or worst when I showed up at Thanksgiving were gobsmacked you know again nobody's posting on social media in 1991 there's no family saw you when they saw you you weren't keeping up on Twitter it was do you see the person do you not see the person it's not like we're taking Polaroids and sending them to family members so the level of shock that they felt was real so from there I, I mean, I had started working out, I had a, a membership to Lucille Roberts, but it wasn't until the following year that I really started to try and get serious, and of course, as you all know, I shouldn't say all, well, many of you know, the key thing for me was joining Bev's Gym incredibly, now more than 30 and a half years ago. I first went there in January of 1993, Well, I lived in Woodbury at the time, it was just If you want to call it luck it was luck that i lived in woodbury and because i knew who bev francis was i had watched pumping iron to the women uh, on cinemax years prior so i knew the name and i had read a couple of muscle magazines and when i found out wow the gym is like three miles away this is unbelievable well of course i was going to join so a huge part of my fitness journey belongs to bev francis powerhouse gym which as I say, I began going, I was still a teenager, 1993, and in the early days, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was a quick study, and I read an awful lot um, about what worked for people of certain bone structures, and the difference between uh, genetic potential and drug use, and what's the best that a natural athlete with six and a half inch wrists, get. all of these things I committed to and I was fortunate in that I had a lot of different sources of information that I absorbed and processed and synthesized and utilized. I did not go the conventional route of you know the old Arnold, not to take shots at Arnold, but the Arnold routine from the, from the 70s, six days a week, twice a day, doing you know 100 sets a time. Not going to work for the average person who does not have or did not have his robust genetics. In know, whatever pharmaceuticals he happened to be taking at the time. So for me, the key was that I learned to train intensely, briefly, and I didn't do any cardio in what you would call my my building phase. Because when I was down to like 165 pounds, I was pretty scrawny. Um, Again, relatively speaking, from a bone structure perspective, my leanest weight I was never 145 because we know people and I know people who are the same height as me and were 20 pounds lighter, even at the quote unquote same rough, like roughly the same body fat level. But I started focusing on the power lifts at the expense of everything else. And that was the key for me, just as far as putting on enough muscle where people could say, okay, well this guy at least looks like an athlete. Because what I've what I've learned is that if you are not if you're not taking anabolics, if you don't have really good genetics, in regular clothes, you're, it's unlikely that you're going to look super duper impressive. But that's something that I let go of when I was in my early 20s and I was starting to you know, do deadlifts with 400 plus pounds and then later you know, was closing in on 450, 500. My general look didn't change that much and as a very young person, that bothered me because I kept thinking I was doing something wrong. I said, damn, because I I actually thought, well, number one, I thought that if if I could bench 300, squat 400, and deadlift 500, I thought I would be a lot more physically impressive than I actually was. I thought that I was gonna be over 200 pounds single digits body fat. Didn't work out that way. And I didn't suddenly become a lady killer because I had a better physique. That's a story for another podcast because the mental side, the psychology of interacting with others. It's not as simple as looking good. It helps, I have certainly found as an older person, it helps, but I had to get my mind right in other ways than just, okay, he looks better than he used to. Because you can look great, but if you meet, for example, a young lady and you spend five minutes staring at the floor, she's probably not gonna be that interested in you. So over the years, I went through different uh, sort of training modes, different ideas, bulking and cutting, and then I kind of settled at a certain point in my late 20s into a routine where it was training as hard as possible, but the realization that I was never going to be 215 pounds at 8% body fat, and I was okay with it. It's it it, it was fine. As a younger person, I was not okay with it, but as I got to you know my early 30s, I said it's okay because you're doing your thing for yourself and you need to not worry about whether or not another person even knows that you work out this was something that also preoccupied
1: so i had my head was
0: just not in the right spot even as i improved myself physically and was able to form real friendships as i said earlier i got better at that but the fitness journey is to me a key part of my existence i love the gym i love working out and when i say the gym Yes, BEVS for all those years. I haven't been at BEVS since March of 2020, but I mean the whole process of working out, of being a physical being, of breathing, of being aware of your your body's systems functioning properly, right? We're all pretty complicated machines and it is extraordinary to think about how much effort we can put into an individual workout and it doesn't make us not want to do it. If anything, it spurs us to keep going. People always ask me, how do you stay motivated? I don't know. The joke is, and it might not be a joke, I always tell people somewhere along the line, I managed to trick my brain. It's like the movie The Matrix. Remember what um, the Oracle says to Neo? You're not here to make a choice. You're here because you've already made a choice. Somewhere along the line, when I woke up in the morning, I was no longer making a choice to go to the gym. It was understood that I was going. It was no choice to make. It was just a matter of getting there. And I don't know how that worked. And people always said, man, if you could bottle that up and give it to me, hey, I wish I could, because I know there are so many people that struggle with everyday motivation. And I am an incredibly lucky individual. I say this to people and sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't. I have the kind of lifestyle where I am I don't have any excuse to not be motivated because i know plenty of people and guys from bevs and just people in general that you know that i communicate with their lives are jam-packed every day with work with family with huge responsibilities huge commitments if i don't work out in almost all cases i can't blame life for preventing me from working i guess it happens sometimes tragedy strikes and sometimes shit happens that you have to take care of that must be prioritized over a workout on that day. But those situations are rare. So I am incredibly fortunate to be able to work out as I do. And you know, here I am in a new house and I turned this room into an office with all the posters and everything. And I'm having fun chatting with you guys and getting the feedback. But I do cardio in the gym in the clubhouse of this development here. And then I have my, what I call a dungeon, in the basement and it's it's just fantastic. I'm looking forward to every morning waking up and working out and doing my thing. And what am I gonna, what craziness am I gonna try? How many reps am I gonna try to get? Am I gonna try to get a hundred reps with 20 pound dumbbells for, for shoulder presses? But even at my age, I'm gonna be turning 50 in six weeks, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages. And I am still, excited about my daily workouts. I'm still setting goals. I'm still trying to do things that I have not done. And it's a life that I never could have imagined for myself. I never could have imagined. I I never thought I was going to be a homeowner. I never thought that I was going to have a normal life with normal relationships, get married. None of those things seemed real. It seemed like, well, that only happens for other people. Just like you can be fit, you can get into better shape, you can do it. I thought, no, 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 that's only for other people. Derek Jeter used to always say, and I think it was the title of his autobiography, the life you imagine. You know, and, and people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who in Austria, as a, as a boy, visualized the life he wanted. And he when he ran into roadblocks, he didn't stop trying. And Derek Jeter, of course, had bumps in the road. You know, he was very fortunate to get drafted by the Yankees. But the idea is nothing comes easy worth having. And it's something that I didn't know, and then I did. And now I embrace that. Embrace the grind. Embrace the struggle. And if you can somehow play a little mind trick, Jedi mind trick on yourself, to where you're not making a choice to work out, you already know that it's going to happen. That's not really advice. Maybe that's just dumb luck too. You know, and I have enough time to work out where I don't have to stress over my diet or deal with you know, normal person things from that regard. Um, I'm just really, really lucky. But my fitness journey is if somebody who was overweight had a terrible attitude for huge chunks of his younger life. And hey, I still struggle. I still get down on myself. The, what, the way that I explain it to people is I have infinite patience for others. I don't have that much patience for myself, and I still struggle with that as old as I am. You know, I you know, Richard Nixon was still president when I was born. He resigned a few weeks later. The joke was, "Yeah, you know, he saw you come and he ran." But like I've been around a long time. December 29, 1973. That's going to be a 50-year anniversary soon. And I'm grateful every day that I was exposed to physical fitness as a younger person, who, as I say, had been active and then stopped being active. But the best thing I ever did was decide that I was going to try to improve myself, that I was not going to continue to assume that such things weren't possible, because I then proved that they were. And for anyone out there who is having crisis of conscience, crisis of confidence, and wondering why they're not motivated. Just know, it's completely normal. And it is possible to have a mindset shift to where you stop having these huge pockets of not being motivated. I can tell you, I have gone through some really heavy stuff, some real serious ups and downs. Even in the last like six, seven years, it never stopped me from wanting to go to the gym as depressed as i may have been as downtrodden as kicked in the head kicked in the balls as beaten down by life as i was at various points i still wanted to work out that's what i hope because we're all going to go through trials and tribulations we're all going to have down days down weeks down months down years where everything seems to go against us the workout is the one thing we can always control. And to get to that level up here where you feel like this I can control and this I will control, I am not going to let these 10 other things which are wearing me out, making me feel like less than what I know I am, I'm not going to let them make me less than I can be physically in this moment, this week, this month. I'm not gonna quit. I'm just gonna keep trying to move forward. And eventually, there'll be sunlight. It won't always be darkness. That's another thing that I found. It won't always be darkness. You just have to, you have to keep your head above water till the sun comes out. So, I wanna thank you for joining me for episode five of Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind. A little insight into my fitness journey, which is ongoing. You know, I had a great workout this morning, shoulder presses. Yeah, buddy, I was carrying on and screaming and yelling down there in the dungeon. I'm going to probably post a video to socials tomorrow, so you'll get to see what I'm talking about. But I hope you have a great evening, and I hope that you are motivated or can get motivated and then stay motivated. Peace.